church. Let's stand together and worship.
Shelby Christian Church. It's great to see all of you here this morning and those of you that are joining us online. You know, this this series that we're going through right now is about the least of these. And I was reading a story not too long ago about this young executive who had waited for years to finally buy his dream car. So he buys this black Jaguar and he absolutely loves this car and he loves to show this car off. He's driving down the road one day, just kind of zooming around, really enjoying, enjoying the car, when all of a sudden this brick comes flying from the sidewalk and hits the side of his car. Well, he slams on the brakes, he swips the car around, he jumps out of the car and he sees this little boy and he says, do you know what you've just done? Do you have any idea how much damage you just did to my car? How much this is going to cost me? The young boy burst into tears. And he says, I'm sorry, I couldn't get anybody else to stop. You see, my brother over there, his wheelchair flipped off the curb, and now he's just laying there, and he's he's too big for me to pick up and put back in the wheelchair. The young executive walked over. He picked the boy up, and he put him back into his wheelchair. And he got back in his car, and he thought to himself... 
I'm not going to fix the damage of this car. Because I want to be reminded that next time somebody's in need, I don't have to have a brick thrown at me. You know, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He sacrificed himself for each and every one of us. So as we come to these communion stations this morning, we come to take the bread and the juice. Let us be reminded of the least of these. Because Jesus gave his life up in order for us to have abundant life. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning. And Father, as we look into this world and we see the least of these, don't let a brick have to hit us in order for us to see the hurting of those around us. Help us, Father, to step into those roles of service to help others. And Father, as we come to take communion this morning, let us be constantly reminded of your blood and your body that was broken for us. So Father, this morning, I pray that as we take this, we are reminded of these things in your great sacrifice. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. through the news feeds and the Facebook feeds and and you saw Christians like us hiding in subways and basements, tunnels and and still praising God. Because can I remind you that none of this surprised God? He wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. So this morning we want to teach you a new song so that we can all understand That the God that was then is the same God today. I'm calling on the God of Jacob Whose love endures through generation I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses The one who opened up the ocean Bye. 
to faithfulness I'm standing on never changes you heard your children then you hear children singing you are the same God you are the same God you answered prayers back then and you will answer now you are the same God you are the same God you are providing then you are providing now you are the same God you are the same devastating you ever looked into the eyes of a truly hungry person I mean I mean not just I haven't had a Big Mac today I'm talking truly hungry truly hungry according to the USDA there's 38 million people including 12 million children in the United States that are food insecure. A lot of that happens in rural communities because they make up 63% of the counties in the United States and 91% of the counties with the highest overall food insecurity rates are rural communities. Kind of like Shelby County. There are a handful of food banks here. There's obviously the Serenity Center and several churches that have their own food banks. There are now over two dozen of the little free pantries uh, that we are able to get around the community. And yet the public school system still sends home over 300 backpacks every weekend 
to make sure children are fed. We, we've also, God has blessed us and, and, and used us and we've begun uh, to create some more partnerships through the school with the, uh, the, the friskies that are there and identifying some families that the backpack just isn't enough. And so we're able to take boxes of food, including ground beef and, and especially like on four day weekends last, like last weekend, we were able to provide a lot of stuff right here, right around us. And when people, when people are hungry and when you can look in their eyes and you can see and you know that around the world and in our community, people are literally starving to death. There's a part of you and me that it's easy to scream, God, where are you? How in the world could this be going on? And so we began to answer that question last week, and we agreed that there are different answers to the question, depending on your perspective. But from the believer's perspective, God, where are you? You know what our answer is supposed to be? Everywhere. That's what we understand about God and the God of the Bible that's an omniscient God, that's an omnipresent God. That means He's all-knowing and He's everywhere. He's an omnipotent God that is all-powerful. And we read the, the Christmas story about Jesus coming to earth, moving into the neighborhood to be with us. And the Bible tells us that the angel told Joseph and Mary, you should call him Jesus, which means Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's everywhere. Where is he when people are starving? Where is he when bombs are falling? God, I need you now. Is a cry of much of the world today. But Jesus raised the bar a little higher by telling us that When we meet the needs of others, we're doing it for him. And he told a story. In fact, as we looked last week, he told three stories in Matthew 25. And we're focusing for the rest of this series on the last story, the end of Matthew 25, where he talks about what the end of time will be like in a king that's going to separate people on the two sides. And he's going to call one side sheep and the other side goats. And then in time, Jesus says he's going to separate like that. Here's the way he said it out of the message. In, in verse 34 of Matthew 25, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Enter you who are blessed by my father. Take what's coming to you in this kingdom. It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. Jesus then said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was homeless. And you gave me a room. I was shivering and cold and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you stopped to visit me. I was in prison and you came to me to see me. And then you scroll down to verse 45. He'll answer that. I'll tell you the truth. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored by the world, that was me. You failed to do it for me. Where are you, God? We're going to cover a couple more of those today. The, the first two things he specifically talked about. When people are hungry and when people are thirsty. Where are you, God, when we're starving? According to this picture that Jesus just painted for us. Where are you, God? When people, it's, you're in the eyes of that little child who doesn't have enough to eat. You're in the eyes of that homeless man living in a cardboard box. Or that woman that's on the street selling or giving herself up just for food. That's where you are. You're in their eyes and we're supposed to do something about it. I I had pictures and bless Shayla's heart, the whole PowerPoint crashed. So anything that comes up behind me, she's creating on the fly. So praise God. I spent a significant amount of time this week just dumbfounded, sitting quietly. Because 12 years ago this week, I was in the Ukraine. I was looking for little boys and girls that were 
out on the street homeless. And it, it's all because of what's going on now, really, because the last time there was a major conflict, the Ukrainian government did a couple things to hopefully prevent it from ever happening again. They narrowed the gauge on all the railways so that uh, the railroad or so that train cars from other countries, Russia, wouldn't be able to come in on their tracks. The other thing they did was they started paying women to have kids. And they paid them more if they had boys because they could eventually grow up to be men that would be able to be in the army, which is now what's happening because they're basically just saying they're drafting anybody 18 and over and saying, come on, let's go. And they're going in mass force. But I spent a lot of this week because I know some of them. I've got friends we were talking about before, sir. I've got friends in Russia that are sending out messages, pray for us. We hate what is going on. And then I've got people I know personally in Ukraine. A young lady named Marcia that was our interpreter. She's my daughter's age. And so that means now she's in her early 30s. And I've just been wondering, now does she have kids of her own that she's trying so hard to protect and make sure they're okay? And there was a little boy that we found unconscious sleeping on, on hot water pipes underneath a railroad track because it was the only place that was warm and dry. And he was unconscious from sniffing so much paint that the only way we knew he was alive was to watch his chest go up and down. And when I was in there trying to get him out, the train came and I had to crawl out before the train went over because I didn't really want to be under there with the train going right over my head. And that little boy and the little boys and girls that we played basketball with and 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 the kids that we went out on night patrol even back then 12 years ago and crawled through bombed out buildings looking for kids because a lot of them were hungry and we just wanted to bring them in to the to mulberry international to the group we were working with and and feed them get them through the day and so all week long i've been thinking about those faces and there's a part of me i hope it doesn't offend you but there's a part of me even as your pastor that i've been crying god where are you Where are you in all this stuff? Are those kids okay? Are they hungry? (coughs) Find it really interesting that the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels other than the resurrection is the feeding of a whole bunch of people by Jesus. It's in John chapter 6. And Jesus had been teaching And he tried to get a little bit away and they all followed him. And suddenly the Bible tells us that there were 5,000 men that were sitting on the side of a hill. It's interesting. He points out men because that means that doesn't count the whole number. And so you think about just in in our world today and how many men are going to show up for an event. And then you add the women and the children. You're talking 20,000 people or more that were gathered to hear Jesus teach without any sound system, without any band, just to hear Jesus teach. And he taught for quite a while. And the people got hungry. In, in John 6, verse 5, Jesus soon saw a large crowd coming back to look for him. And turning to Philip, one of the disciples, he said, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, even if we work for months... We wouldn't have enough food and money to feed all these people. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, There's a little boy over here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that in this huge crowd? Jesus said, Tell everyone to sit down. So I sat down on the grass, and the men alone numbered over 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same for the fit with the fish, and they all ate. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now go gather up the leftovers so that nothing's wasted. And so they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. See, this day <clears throat> that all four of the gospel writers chose to record, this day is significant. Because this is kind of a turning point in, in Jesus' ministry. Because, <coughs> excuse me, it caused his reputation to spread like wildfire. And people loved him. But the officials, the ones who already didn't like him, this is when they really begin to hate him. 
Because the scenario of what had happened that day on the side of a hill, and Jesus literally providing for all the needs of the people, that scenario in its own way made it to where they were unnecessary. Their position was now in jeopardy because it was unnecessary if this guy Jesus could provide everything that the people needed. And when when he was simply feeding or healing him, they they were okay with that because that kind of took the pressure off them. But then when he started telling them to follow his teaching and the way they lived, it got ugly quick. I think the same thing's true today. Last week was interesting because I knew in that first statement that I made last Sunday that I would have some fans and I would have some people causing, raising all kinds of questions about the halftime show at the Super Bowl. And, and I had people last week that said things like, oh, this is great that you quoted Eminem. And that you talked about that. And man, that was so cool and that was so great. And I was like, hang on, <laughs> come back next week. <laughs> because a week later... The preacher is going to tell you, because that's what the Bible says, that Jesus wants you to hunger and thirst after righteousness, which means right living. That means making some changes in, in the way that we thought about things or we think about things. It may mean making changes in your lifestyle, in the way that you're living, and now suddenly that becomes just as uncomfortable, maybe even more uncomfortable than talking about Eminem and Snoop Dogg and 50 Cent in a sermon. Because that gets personal. What, I'm supposed to live differently? I'm supposed to change? Because the issue is this. When we're talking about hunger, the issue is this. When you are hungry, who are you looking to for nourishment? Where are you trying to get fed? In that story in John 6, the disciples, they were confused. And they had all sorts of reactions to what Jesus is saying. The first reaction was kind of like, ain't my problem. It's not my problem. Let them go somewhere and get food. I I know that they're hungry and it's been a long day. They've already heard you, Jesus. Not my, let them go feed themselves. Let them go find some food. Let them go take care of things. Hmm. Here's what Jesus' brother James wrote in the back part of our New Testament. James wrote, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. And you say, see you, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or any clothing. What good does that do? You see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. See, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of us that that claim this incredible faith in Jesus Christ. And we sing at the top of our lungs. And that's where our faith stops. Not everybody. In fact, there's a lot of people that goes further. But what the Bible clearly says is, when we see hunger, we see God. When we see thirst, we we see the face of Jesus. And when we recognize those things, we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to do something about those things. The disciples saw what was going on that day, and people were hungry, and that's not my problem. Philip, in particular, got called out by Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, go, go take care of this, Philip. And he's like, if we worked for months, in fact, some translations even say that he, he named a certain number of months. He said, even if we worked so hard, we couldn't afford to feed this many people. There's no way. There's no way we could take care of this. I think a lot of times that's our response. We'll look at a situation and, and, and our first response to poverty or or lack of resources, uh, 
it's to start making excuses about how much it's going to cost and what it would take to turn stuff around. You see that homeless person? That, that homeless person doesn't just need a sandwich. Alright? They need housing. They may need job training. They might even need detox to help them get over their addiction. It's much more than a Big Mac at McDonald's a lot of times. So what are we going to do? Because we can't afford to do anything, we don't do any, we can, because we can't afford to do everything, we don't do anything. Instead of doing something that we can. The other reaction that I, that I see from the disciples in this, not, it's not my problem and it's going to cost way too much. And our resources, we got far too little. The little bit we've got, it just won't help at all. And then they find a boy. We don't know exactly how they found this little boy. We just know that he was brought up. We don't know if he stood up and volunteered because he could tell that they were looking for food. Or we don't know if the disciples were working the crowd. And as they were working the crowd and they're walking through the crowd of people, they saw that this kid had some bread and some fish. Now don't get mistaken when it talks about five loaves of bread. Don't think of a loaf of bread like the size of the loaf of bread that we have. And especially don't think of like going to a deli and getting one of those big baguettes, you know, those, those huge, like, oh, at least five of those. Okay, yeah, that's still not going to be enough. We're talking about a little boy fishing five barley loaves would have been the smallest loaf. of. It was the bread of the poor. It, it, it was the bread of the poor. It was just an exaggerated cookie, basically. And he had five of them and... Two small fish that were probably much more like sardines than bass. Why you would want sardines in the first place, I don't know, but that's a different story. That won't help. It was almost nothing in a crowd that big. But that's the point. It wasn't nothing. It was almost nothing. And Jesus took it and did something. Because you see, here's something you need to remember. God has a miraculous way of taking our little and doing something big. Doing something huge. Making it enough. So if we want to find God and share Him with a world that is hungry for hope, we've got to do something. We've got to take our faith beyond Sunday morning or whenever we might worship. We've got to take it to the streets on a regular basis because there are people that are hungry for hope. And there are people that are thirsty. God, where are you when we're so parched? Have you, have you ever been working and just going, going through something and like you just couldn't get enough to drink? Like you're, you're just, your, your mouth was dry. You just, you were like, you understood parts. You understood the old Western movies or TV shows when somebody's out in the desert and they're actually dying in your parts and you just need something to drink. Mark Jones shared a story with me this week about a mom that was sick in bed and her, her little girl wanted to do something nice for her mom and, and she knew her mom loved hot tea. So she went and made her a cup of hot tea to hopefully make her feel better. And she took it and gave it to her mom. And the mom was so surprised. Asked, honey, where did you learn to make tea? The little girl said, well, from, from watching you. I boiled the water. I put in the tea leaves. I strained them out. And I poured the tea in a cup, just like you do. And there was this pause. And she said, but mom, I couldn't find the strainer. So I used the fly swatter. <laughs> Seeing the startled look at her mom's face, she said, but don't worry, I didn't use the new one. <laughs> and we get pretty cautious about the things that we drink. Cities pay very close attention to the quality of water, purification. Every once in a while, you hear of a boil water advisory where tap water needs to be boiled to be purified again before it's used because there's been a problem within the system. God, where are you when we're that thirsty? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. It's in Matthew chapter 5. 
And the fourth beatitude, or the fourth thing that Jesus said as a, as a condition for blessing, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, here it is, for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, the first several Beatitudes deal with the condition of the heart. Jesus always began with the condition of the heart. And, and, and when he pronounced a blessing on those who were hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he was actually touching really the inner state of their hearts, of, of our hearts. That, that word blessed that's used over and over again in the Beatitudes, it signifies a deep, joy-filled overflowing contentment and an inner state of spiritual well-being it's that it's that attitude that causes us to sing it is well with my soul and so to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to possess an active spiritual longing the psalmist david wrote these words in psalm 42 my soul thirsts for you O god for the living god where can i go and meet with God. See, the desire that David was talking about was not just some passive thing. It wasn't just the random, oh, I'm so thirsty statement that, that we often make during a week. No, it's like, no, I need something. And I need something quick. It, it's a fervent seeking to quench the thirst in his life. Now, that, that, that issue of righteousness... It, it, it speaks to the right relationship with God and with other people. And last week we talked about how wrong it was to hate things that we don't understand. But I need to let you know that coin has two sides. And, and, and while if we're not careful, we as Christ followers can, can have a bad attitude, a wrong attitude, maybe even a hate attitude about things that we don't understand about lyrics that we don't understand, about people that dress away that we don't understand. We can have that, but on the other side of the coin, much of the world that doesn't follow Jesus or doesn't like the church doesn't understand what Jesus and the church are here for, and therefore they hate what they don't understand. Which brings a question. What would it be like if we could all just understand? Both ways. One of the qualifiers that Jesus used for the division of people by the king in Matthew 25 was how they reacted to people who are thirsty. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You know how important that really is? Some of you that are doctors and nurses know exactly and could teach us a lot more than I can about how much the body needs lots of water. To carry out some essential functions. Just from the balancing of our internal temperature and keeping cells alive. Do you know that your body as an adult, that your body is over 50% water? The weight that you carry is over 50% water? We feel thirsty when we lose as little as 2 to 3% of our body's water. Being dehydrated by just 2% can cause mental lapses and lapses in performance. It's almost like being under the influence of something. We're starting to get tickets driving while thirsty. Because we're not responding appropriately. As a general rule of thumb, people can live 18 to 21 days, the medical world says, without food. Three days without water. That's how important it is for people not to be thirsty. But the need that Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 25 is much deeper than just clean drinking water. It's the same need that he referred to in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Another great story in Jesus' life happened in the Gospel of John. John chapter 4, Jesus is making his way through the countryside and different than any Jewish person of his day, he decided to go straight through Samaria. It was unheard of. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, but Jesus went right through Samaria because he knew there was someone there who was thirsty. 
As Jesus made his way through Samaria, he came to a well. It was actually Jacob's well that was there. It tells us that in John chapter 4. And as he sat there by the well, there was a Samaritan woman that was drawing water in the middle of the day. He said, would you give me something to drink? Could I please have a drink? And this Samaritan woman knew the tradition and knew the scandal that that could cause. And she said, but you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, not only a Samaritan woman. How is it that you could even ask me for such a thing? Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus tells her, if you only knew the gift of God for you and who you were speaking to. And Jesus is kind of saying, let me translate. If you just knew who I was, if you only knew what's going on here. He said, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Living water? What's living water? Anyone who drinks this water that you're getting out of this well is going to be thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I will give will never thirst again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And so the woman says, give me some of that. Give me some of that aquafina. Whatever you got in there. I want some of that. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come out here to get water. That's an incredible part of this. Because she wasn't out there in the cool of the morning or the shade of the evening. She's out there in the heat of the day. Nobody else came to draw water in the heat of the day. That's why she was there. Because she didn't want to have to deal with anybody else. And Jesus tells her, Well, before we go any further, why don't you go get your husband? She says, I don't have one. Jesus said, I know. I know. But you've had five. And the guy you're living with now is not one of them. Busted. How do you know these things? She tries to change the subject and talked about when the Messiah comes, all these things will be revealed. All these things will be known, and just when the Messiah comes, and Jesus responds, well, the time is coming. No, it's here now. It's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way, for God is spirit. And so those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman says, when the Messiah comes, He'll explain all these things. And Jesus says, I'm Him. I'm the Messiah. And then what happens next? And we don't have time to read it all, but I would encourage you to read through all John 4, because it's amazing. Because what happens next is this woman just drops the water that she has and starts sprinting back to town. She's running back. All those people she used to avoid, the nosy neighbor who constantly asks when she and her boyfriend are going to get married. The priest who always reminding her that, that she would never have enough, uh, never be able to make up for all of her sins and she wasn't welcome in the synagogue anymore. The guy at the butcher shop who winks at her when his wife's not looking. Every stranger on every street corner and every shopper and every shop and every neighbor up and down the road. And she tells them all, there's this guy out at the well and he told me everything I ever did. He knows all my deepest, darkest secrets. He knows about God and about worship and about living water. And I'm not exactly sure what that is, but it sounds really awesome. And I seriously think he's the Messiah. And then the beautiful part. For some unknown reason, everybody listens to her. And they start running to the well. The Bible tells us that by now the disciples who had gone away for food, they're back and they're hanging out at the well. And and Jesus is kind of talking to them. And he looks up and here comes the droves of people. And this is where Jesus looks to the disciple and says, look, the fields are ripe into harvest. Because these people are coming to get the living water that this lady went and told them about. Look, look. They're charging the scene because they want what you guys have and know. See, Jesus knew that she needed living water. But what is that living water? Water says Jesus becomes a spring inside of us that wells up 
eventually into eternal life. Because living water, that's the gospel of Jesus. It's the good news of salvation. Living water is the truth of heaven that came and moved into the neighborhood for a while. It's the knowledge and the assurance that Jesus came to save us from our sin. It's the drink for those that are thirsting for righteousness. Do you remember what life was like before you drank that water? For some of us, especially in this service, I think, it's hard to remember. Because we, a lot of us were raised in Christian's home, Christian homes, and so we found out about this really early on in life, and we can't hardly even remember. I was nine years old when I stood in front of Southland Christian Church and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept Him as my personal Lord and Savior. Wayne Smith baptized me. I remember, I remember that day. And I made a lot of mistakes after that. But there was never a time that I didn't know who Jesus was and trust Him from that day on. Even when I was being stupid. And a lot of you guys share that same basic kind of story. Now, now there's some, and especially later on today, there would be a lot in the services after this that kind of came to the party later in life. And they figured it out a little bit later. And guess what? There's going to be some here today that still haven't surrendered. Maybe that's you. Maybe this morning you're really thirsty for righteousness that the world's not been providing for you. But you're here today and you wouldn't be here today If you weren't hungry and thirsty for something more than life's been providing. If you didn't have that hunger and thirst, you wouldn't have gotten up 8.30 on a Sunday morning. So what do we do with all this? If you're here and you know that Jesus is your Savior because you've trusted Him, confessed that trust in Him, repented of all your sins and been baptized then do this. Go be Jesus to someone else. Go share that message with someone else. But if you're here this morning and you're starving and you're parched and thirsty for more than this world has to offer, I don't have good news for you. I've got the best news the best news ever and that is that Jesus has something better for you than what the world has to offer so here's the deal bottom line whichever one of these applies to you today be Jesus to someone or know that Jesus has something better for you just remember you can't share food or water from an empty bowl You can't carry a message that you haven't received. Would you guys stand with me? While we sing again about that same God who performed miracles then and will perform them now, if you need to invite Jesus into your life, we're going to see a bunch of baptisms in our next service. But if you need to make that decision, hey, Jason's standing right back there by the decision room. We've got other people who go back there and pray with you. And if you've made that decision, just while we sing, let's worship, let's worship hard, and let's say, I want to get serious about providing food and drink for those that are hungry and thirsty that need to know Jesus. Let's worship and let's respond. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm still
stuff is still doing it now I know it because I've seen it in the last week you guys a lot of you remember about a year ago Matthew Wilson my friend from South Carolina was here and preached from Ecclesia Church six months ago last Sunday they baptized a guy named David who had had a stroke He was paralyzed completely on the left side of his body, from his neck to his toes. Couldn't do anything. And it had been months, and the doctor said, it's not going to get any better. And one of their staff got to share Jesus with David, and he said, I want want to be baptized. So they figured out how to baptize David, and they they got a hoist to help him up there. Then they got some big dudes in that church, and there were three or four of them in the baptistry with them. And on September 21st of last year, they baptized David into Jesus. And that day, David asked Rick, one of the guys on their staff, they said, would you just pray that Jesus will let me walk again? Last Sunday, I got out of church and I checked on my social media feed because they're friends of mine. And I looked at Ecclesia's picture and I saw a picture of David walking into church with Rick. Don't tell me God won't do it. He's healing people then, and He's healing them now. We just got a hunger and thirst after righteousness and trust Him. We're glad you guys are here today. If this is your first time ever, thanks for coming. We've got a gift for you out in the lobby at the I'm New Wall, and I encourage you to stop out there and get that gift and, and meet some folks out there. If you want, you've got more questions, you can go on around the corner to the Next Step Room. Uh, and Bobby and some of his team of people over there, they can help answer questions. Our next Pathways is actually uh, March 22nd, because this week it was February 22nd, and the February-March thing, it's the same day, all right? So March 22nd next month uh, is when we'll have next pathways we had almost 30 people this month almost 10 of them in the first step that made decisions for Christ and a bunch of them are going to be baptized today and several more in weeks to come so if you're interested in, in becoming part of the church and moving on in discipleship and involvement uh, check out pathways real soon and the mission tables are still out in the lobby you can stop and check out some information so let's get out of here let's go love God and love people and let's change the world we'll see you guys